Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast, and thank you for joining us in our mission to make government contracts better one contract at a time. This podcast isn't just for contracting officers. It's for anyone anywhere in the government acquisition world who wants to understand the other side just a little bit better. Today, we're talking about a source selection technique that seems to be growing in popularity. So let's get started. Good news. You won. The contracting officer sent you a letter, email, called you, notified you that you are the apparent successful offer. The, the apparent successful <laughs> That's a suspicious word. What does that mean? Select to negotiate is a source selection technique that allows the government to conduct a seemingly normal selection process, pick a winner, and then negotiate a final deal with the apparent winner. Yeah, apparent winner usually means we have a couple more final steps to make sure you're you're legit and you're everything is in line for you to actually get this award. This is a little different. It seems like they could uh, pull the rug out from under you if you're just the apparent winner. It sounds like a great <laughs> idea, and if you're the government, it, it's good to be the king. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to the Defense Acquisition University, or DAU. If you work in the Department of Defense, you've heard of the DAU. The DAU provides on-site and online training for thousands of government folks uh, in nearly every acquisition field, from contracts to pricing to tests and evaluation. I want to thank the DAU specifically for listing the Contracting Officer Podcast, no kidding, on their research and resources page on the dau.edu site. Our podcast is listed under the other, with quotes, other great sites not sponsored by the government. That's a list that they have. So how cool is that? The DAU is, is sharing our podcast. So thanks for doing that. Thanks, DAU folks. That's awesome. I love it. Never expected that. <laughs> Ditto. Okay, we're talking about select to negotiate today. And this is really a FAR Part 16505 fair opportunity type process. Now, there was a time back in the day when I worked in sort of special program kind of things where this was allowed and I used it outside, it, it, even in a far part 15 type arrangement. And man, contractors hated it. And I loved it as the contracting officer. Once I got on the contractor side, I thought, wow, that's pretty dangerous. And it's really, really important to foot stomp that this is not a far part 15. Repeat, this is not a far part 15 exercise. Because if you put your FAR Part 15 brain around this, it's going to frustrate you. This actually really makes sense under FAR 16505, which is the IDIQ contracts. We did a whole series called The Path to Fair Opportunity. There's four separate podcasts about the fair opportunity process, which is much, much, much more flexible than FAR Part 15 source selection procedures. It allows the contracting officer great flexibility in choosing how to select a source. You still have to document it. You still have to say ahead of time in the RFP, this is how I'm going to do it. But that how can be not anything you want, but a lot different than FAR Part 15. Yeah, a lot faster, a lot, and then a lot fewer steps, but key steps that take a lot of time are out of the way. And again, we talk all about that in those other episodes. This is closer, not exactly, but closer to how the commercial world operates. You get a bid, you review the bids, you pick the best or your favorite, and you sit down and try to negotiate a deal, a better deal than their bid. If you don't like how the negotiations are going, you can go to another offer, another vendor, another company. 
you could actually negotiate with more than one vendor at once and kind of play them off each other. And, and the key factor here is the reason it's close to the commercial world is that yeah, as long as the government explains they're going to do this in the RFP process, it's totally legit, makes complete sense, and it, it is a more effective way to operate. That's the, what the key difference between that and the commercial world. The commercial world, you don't have to tell them what you're doing. <laughs> you can just really do. You know, you're you're going to, oh, by the way, my cousin owns this company. Sorry, I didn't tell you that part. That's not so. Don't feel like it's 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 a wild west, but it's a lot closer. It can feel a lot closer to the the commercial environment. The government's still going to release an RFP that tells the offers what to submit in their proposal, even though it might be oral proposals under FAR Part Sixteen. <laughs> Very true. Five oh five. They'll also have to tell them the evaluation criteria, how we are going to evaluate you, what we're going to evaluate you on. But the government has all the power when it comes to these negotiations. This is different than discussions, which we also have separate podcast episodes on, because instead of opening up conversations, discussions, negotiations with all of the offers and then requesting final proposal revisions, the government can just go to one contractor and negotiate with them and then award, not even talk to the others, or it could talk to all of them and request a, an updated proposal from one, but none of the others. The government has all the power here which is sort of the dangerous part we're going to talk about in a minute. If they can't come to an agreement with the contractor at their sole discretion, they can move on to the next best offer. And before I know some cackles are going up, but from the government side, for, for me to ask seven companies to give a proposal when really only two of them have a realistic chance to win, I'm wasting their time. <laughs> so, so if you zoom out and look at this from an effective perspective, what you just described, it, it is a better way to do business, but it's not how the traditional FAR Part 15 works. Yeah. <laughs> so that, again, I got to make sure that I'm going to keep foot stomping. This yeah. is FAR Part 16. Maybe we're headed that way. This is really, this is only task orders under IDIQ type contracts, multiple award type contracts. But think about it. You got seven proposals. There's two with a realistic chance to win. Your choice is either to do a competitive range determination kick five of them out, deal with that, and then get updated proposals from two. Or you can go to discussions with all of them, get updated proposals from all of them, waste all their time, wait, waste five of those contractors' time and money submitting <laughs> proposals that now you have to evaluate in order for them to still lose. And it's really ironic when, when one of those five companies protests the fact that I didn't leave them in the competitive range so they could submit a proposal that they're not going to win with. <laughs> right. I never it understood sounds that Sounds insane either. when I say it that way. All right, we talked about telling the offers up front. I'm going to read you some actual solicitation language from an unnamed federal agency that tells offers exactly how they're going to go about this. It says, after an offer has been selected for award based upon a best value determination, the government may negotiate a final reduced price. The negotiations will include reductions in profit slash fee with the offer selected for award in order to achieve the absolute best value for the government. The government may make award based on initial offers received, or the government may make award after clarifications of some aspects of the proposals or discussions relative to price only. The end. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. I just, what that basically says is after you've gotten to the final stage, you're the apparent winner, we want you to potentially take one more slice off of your price. That again, that happens in the commercial market. But if you don't know that's coming as a contractor, it's going to be really uncomfortable. And they're going to show you this out of the RFP when they say, "Yeah, we can do this." Yeah, there's some guidance. The Air Force Material Command has a uh, guidance document out for for their folks on fair opportunity selection. 
and they talk about the same thing. Uh, what I just read was not an AFMC solicitation, but they talk about the same thing in, in their guidance. And they, they tell you, you can talk about price. You can negotiate price. You can negotiate any aspect of the proposal with just one offer, which is, just seems completely strange to, to you know, some of, some of us along the way. But the AFMC guidance says that they call them interchange notices in, instead of evaluation notices, which it was in FAR Part 15. <laughs> nice. But it says may address any aspect of the proposal, technical, cost price, past performance, contract documentation, or any other matter in the evaluation process. So it's wide open. The solicitation language I just read said, don't worry, folks. After we choose you for the award, we're going to negotiate the profit fee you've proposed. And, and think of this like, like it's like due diligence. You're double checking to make sure, okay, is this the best deal for us? In fact, they even, I think they used the, the phrase best value to the government. So they're going to double check this. And they're just giving themselves the ability to do so. And again, that operates like the commercial market. When you sell to a commercial company, you get to the procurement division. And, and yes, they're notorious for just wanting to take an extra slice of, out of your profit. But, it, oh, by the way, they're making sure, you know, is this agreement in, in, in accordance with all the terms of our company? Does it fit all of our policies? You know, it, it's, it's due diligence. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with it unless you have no idea it's coming. <laughs> right. It's going to feel really bad. Uh, it could get dangerous. I'm going to save that for the, the government part. I'm going to save that. Yeah, the, first, the pendulum swings too far sometimes. First, let's get into the FAR time. Again, this is FAR Part 16505. This is the fair opportunity process, and it specifically tells you that FAR Part 15 source selection rules do not apply here, and it's been tested via protest, but things like 15306D, exchanges with offers, specifically says it requires negotiations or discussions with all offers. If you're in FAR Part 16, competing task orders, you don't have to negotiate with all offers. You don't have to do discussions with all offers. 15307B says that all offers in the competitive range shall be given an opportunity to submit a final proposal revision. You don't have to do that here. Under 16.5, that's not required. And, and again, it goes back to the, the seven offers and only two of them have a realistic chance to win. You don't have to get a proposal from those two. You can just negotiate with those two. That is, it, it just feels different because it is. It's a different part of the FAR. 15.308 talks about the source selection decision, and it says the source selection authority's decision shall be based on a comparative assessment of proposals against all source selection criteria in the solicitation. And we talked about this in the multiple episodes we did on source selections. Until you get to the source selection authority, the evaluation team is not comparing proposal against proposal. They do them one at a time, comparing them only against the selection criteria. In 16.505, you can have all the proposals open at once and judge the relative merits of each one along the way. You still have to only evaluate them against the criteria that you laid out, but you can kind of see what's on the table before you start making your decisions. We talked about, again, in the source selection episodes, the first one you evaluate sets the bar. So if you give the first one a B plus and somebody comes along that's 10 times better all you have left is an A, <laughs> right, right? Right. You've already set the bar too high. If you give the first one a C and they're still the best, that means everybody else has to get a D. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm using like, like elementary school grade, grading criteria there, not government stuff. But what I'm trying to say is 16505 
if I was doing it, that would seem to be a much better way to go about evaluating proposals and getting to the best choice, the best option. And this is one of the reasons that the, I'll say the growth in multiple award contracts is because that's what 16.505 is, is multiple award contracts of different varieties. But that's the basic strategy is that you have the ability to operate outside of FAR Part 15, which while it has its great assets to it, it, it can be a bit cumbersome when you're just trying to move fast and you clearly understand what the, what the solution should look like. I got to say, when I was a government contracting officer, I felt handcuffed by the FAR Part 15 source selection process just about every time I went through it because you only get to award exactly what is in the proposal. And if it, if it was good enough to win, but only like 95% of what we really wanted, we have to award to them and then negotiate after award to get it to 100% what we wanted. Minor, not anything that would disavow the source selection, but minor things. But the government ends up in a very disadvantageous negotiation position at that point because they just awarded the contract. This process for task order competitions opens up the competitive process to allow negotiation within reason of the offer's proposed solution and price before you award. And that within reason, that's where it gets kind of perilous. Because the definition of what's within reason and, and how far the pendulum can swing, that, that's where 16.5 can feel rather painful if it's abused. Like everything we do, there's a, there's a, hey, this is a great idea until somebody abuses the crap out of it and then you end up with you know people hating it. So yeah. hopefully <laughs> we're not headed there yet. We always say this is why being a contracting officer is a thinking job and also everything can be used for good or evil. <laughs> there you right? go. It's Let's use kind of this maxim. process for good. This gives the government power to negotiate before the contract is awarded. It shouldn't be used as an axe hanging over the offeror's neck. All right, it's time to talk about the time zones. This is clearly in the acquisition time zones because we're talking about pre-award. The market research zone is where you're sending out draft RFPs, RFIs, and you're laying out the draft criteria, evaluation criteria, and source selection process for offers to comment on. The RFP zone is where that final language goes out and offers are writing the proposal to it. And the source selection zone is where you're making the decision on whether you're going to negotiate with one offer, none, all, or award. So clearly pre-award. We're not in the execution time zones. And if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, they're in episode number three. All right, let's get specific on the government side. Like we just said, Within reason can be a perilous concept, and that's that's not a, a within reason is not really a far statement. That's something that 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 I put in there. You can negotiate, you can't get crazy with it. I think that the government is going to end up with better solutions and services if they're able to negotiate for the best offer before award instead of take it or leave it. I'm going to award this contract and get get what they propose, even though it's just mostly what we wanted. It was the best proposal we got. <laughs> yeah, well, well said. And and as a caveat, I mean, a lot of the, the FAR Part 15 acquisitions that I did, because you did a lot of you know high-tech you know, uh, software development, satellites, that kind of stuff. I was buying a lot of products and services that we had a requirement and whoever exceeded that requirement, that was gravy. Like we, we knew they met the requirement. So FAR, so FAR Part 15 worked a lot, although I, I did use uh, multiple award a lot too. But yeah, the, the the value of this is especially when you're not really exactly sure that the market's going to give you exactly what you want. 
and to be able to talk about that before you get that contract awarded, like you said, that you didn't have to modify <laughs> afterwards. It leaves the government in a very strong negotiation position because you have the ability to move to another offer if you if you can't get to the deal you want. The issue comes if the government uses this to strong arm contractors into just reducing their profit. I mean, think about it. You're the apparent successful offer, which I hate that language. You're you're the apparent winner. If you've almost won. Right. If you agree to this deal. And then the government comes in and says, We want you to cut your profit down to the bone. <laughs> you have to remember, contractors still need to make a reasonable profit. And they probably, if it's competitive, proposed a reasonable profit. If that profit gets cut to next to nothing, either they won't be able to execute the program because there are a lot of unallowable costs in there that profit helps cover, or they won't ever want to work with your agency again because there is no profit in it. And if there's no profit in it, there's no reason to be in business. Yeah, that, that's the big takeaway for me from this, is if the, if the contractor feels... Like they've gone through this, this whole process, they get to the very end and the government says, oh, well, just kidding. We want you to do, we're going to take this much off your profit. While that does happen in the commercial world, something else that happens in the commercial world is client selectivity. Like you said, if you're not, if you're not making money, that's not a customer you want. Yeah. We had one where we submitted a very competitive proposal because we knew we had tough competition. Profit was low because we knew price was going to be important to them. We knew we were the best technical solution, but we didn't want to get underpriced by someone that couldn't do the job as well, but was willing to get nutty with their price proposal. <laughs> nutty. We submitted a very competitive rate and the government still wanted to negotiate the profit down afterwards. And the difference between the commercial world, in the commercial world, your buyers, if you're selling to a buyer, they don't know what your actual profit rate is. They're negotiating and they're moving all the boxes around trying to get a better price. Right. In this world, the government knew exactly what our proposed profit rate was and wanted to knock it down. So it, I really felt at a disadvantage in those negotiations. And it comes down to, you know, take it or leave it. Do you want this work or not? We have another contractor. It can feel like that ax is hanging over your neck when you make those decisions. And Short term, maybe you take that deal, but as we were arguing about when we were preparing for this podcast, Kevin, long term, you might look for other customers if you find out that this one is cutting you to the bone every time that you try to deal with them. You might go look somewhere else, someone that actually pays you a fair profit. Now, the good news from this, from the government side, is if you're using it to refine your, the technical approach, like if the, the, sh the shade of blue of some product. Um, or if the schedule needs to be refined a little bit, that maybe they're, they're, they're going to deliver it two weeks earlier for the same price. That's different than just coming in and hatcheting price. Yep. And all that stuff's on the table. So this is just driving communication, which you and I, you know, foot stomp all the time. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, but, but beating people up over price, that's mean. Yeah. We're focusing on price here because that's what struck a chord with both of us. Ah, not a chord, struck a nerve with both of us. <laughs> Ouch. When I use this back in the olden days, the select and negotiate procedures. Uh, we had a special way to do it, it under four plus fifteen. Ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, but we didn't touch price. The price that they proposed is the price that they proposed. We were using select to negotiate to refine their technical solution before we awarded it, so we didn't have to award a contract and immediately do an ECP to get to exactly what we wanted.
So it really it was kind of protection against me for writing a crappy RFP that didn't explain it well enough. After they proposed it, it gave me a chance to go back and say, "No, here's what we really meant. Can we can we make this your your solution?" <laughs> no, there's a that's a rabbit trail right there. Yeah. Bottom line, government, if you're going to use the select to negotiate approach, two things: you have to plan ahead. You have to include that language in your RFP, your task order proposal request, your your FOPR, your fair opportunity proposal request, that in, in the early industry communications, lay out that this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to care about. Second, do not use it to strong arm contractors into unreasonable deals. If they submitted a competitive proposal, you can bet that it's a competitive price to start with. All right, industry folks, why do you care? Ah, we just said that. <laughs> you, you can feel very disadvantaged here. You're under the gun. Do you take it or leave it for the deal? We're going to give you 1% profit. Do you like it? Do you want it? Or do you want me to award to these other guys? Yeah, it sounds like a, like a strong arm threat. Um, and, and to some extent, that is like the commercial industry where your initial proposal price or your solution, it's going to be negotiated. You know, that's that's kind of understood. But yeah, the, the big thing is, do you understand this is going to happen? Uh, be prepared for it. If the language is in the RFP, which it, it should be, which if it's not, then it shouldn't come up at this point, but understand what's going to happen and why they're doing it. You know, what's, what's their motivation? And again, if you target, you're going to understand the, the culture of the organization. You're going to understand what do they care about? And it's not, you know, you and I are jumping on praise because you're right. It struck, it struck a, a nerve with us, but it's usually not that it could right. be schedule. It could be, they want something faster for the same price. Okay. Is that going to cost you more? Yes. But that's not arguing over profit. Yeah. That, it could be, I want, I want a little darker shade of red. Right. It doesn't doesn't change the price or anything. It's just I didn't quite describe that in the RFP. Like you thought if it was a little darker, I would like that. Can yeah, you make that? You yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's a million things you can change. We just are focusing on price because I think that's where a lot of the peril comes in. Well, and that, that language out of the un, unnamed agency specifically talks about we're going to take your price down some more. That's what, right. that's what I hear when you read right. that. That was scary to step into from a proposal perspective. You're, you're trying to think how low should I, my proposed price be? How low should my profit be? It's got to be low enough to be selected to, to still be the, the best value offer so they come talk to you. But in that case, it still has to be high enough to allow for farther reduction without setting yourself up for a loss on the contract or making it impossible to execute. Yeah, there, there's a strategy in business to business sales that you should expect to leave a certain percentage for the procurement people because they they call it their pound of flesh. Because <laughs> the, the theory is that part of their role as 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 a person who's actually signed the official contract is they have to add value. Well, the best way for them to add value is to lower your price, and so you, your expectation is to leave that in there. And that's not something that people are used to, or at least people who haven't listened to this podcast or familiar with sixteen point five, they're not used to that in, in the government market. Yeah, I'll. Save that for another podcast where the, the pound of flesh things come comes up. Yeah, reducing the price is the easiest way to get the pound of flesh because it's it's numbers and it's apparent. There's a zillion other things. I went from a billion to a zillion. There's there's a lot of other things <laughs> that you can negotiate things. besides price to add value to the procurement. Yes, that's a that is a really good topic for us to cover in another podcast. All right, then. Well, let's wrap this one up so that we don't try to cover it here. On the government side, here's the risk. What if this apparent winner doesn't want to negotiate? Or, or okay, they're, they're going to negotiate, but they're not going to negotiate on your terms. If you ask them to lower the price and they say no, are you really prepared 
to award to the, the effectively the second best solution. So there, there's a reality to this. I mean, they, that go, this negotiation goes both ways. If you hadn't built that flexibility in for yourself, you would just be awarding at that price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so if you, if you focus on the price, you're, you're going to get that defensiveness. Whereas if you focus on things like, hey, can you deliver this faster? Is this technical solution exactly uh, the way you're going to do it? Um, is, this, is this person going to be here three times a week versus four times? It just... A lot of different other things. That, that, <laughs> I can just see you got that. users saying, "Are you telling me, contracting officer, that these guys won in a competitive bid, and then you tried to negotiate their price down, and they wouldn't do that? So now I'm stuck with these. I'm stuck with these other guys that I didn't that didn't win that have a not the best solution. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a really good. That, that's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And also keep in mind, offers have choices on where they pursue. We spend a lot of time talking about targeting because it's a big market. Uh, and select and negotiate could drive the best companies elsewhere. Now, that being said, it could also drive them to you if you if you negotiate and clarify things in that last step and they see the value of how this is a communication tool versus a way to you know, beat them over the head and take another uh, few percentage points. Remember, the best companies, like, like the best employees have jobs, the same thing. The best companies often have other options for customers. They're, they're not hurting for work. I can't add much to that. Just say industry folks, this is a this is a seller beware situation. If you're used to sealed bids, if you're used to FAR Part 15, and now you're on a multiple award contract and they get creative with the selection procedures for uh, task order source selection, have a fair opportunity, be prepared. You have to read the RFP. You have to read that language. You have to know what to expect. Yeah, it's a different kind of strategy. All right, that's it for today, Kevin. I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing, and running a business with government contracts. We speak GovCon. Learn, win, and grow with us. Whether you're brand new to GovCon, just got your first contract, or you're already a successful government contractor, being a Skyway community member gives you the edge. With our extensive tools and training, exclusive member discounts on consulting support, and a supportive and active community of peers to help you along the way, the Skyway community is the perfect place for anyone who's serious about winning new business. To learn more, call 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. We'll see you next week.